Just a content warning before we get started, this episode does include mentions of bullying and teen suicide. Welcome to Hooked. I'm Rachel, your guide through the perplexing and sometimes deadly world of internet catfishing. Why do people catfish, and how many lies can they tell before they get caught? Stick around to find out in this week's episode of Hooked. If you thought the Casey Swenson story was crazy, strap in for this one. Doing research for this episode legitimately made me feel ill. It's not graphic or gross, it's just really, really sad. In 2006, Megan Meyer was 13 years old. She lived in Fallon, Missouri, where she'd lived her entire life with her parents Tina and Ron and her little sister Allison. The Myers lived in a cul-de-sac, and as she was growing up, Megan had a reputation for being something of a daredevil, not afraid to do things the rest of the neighborhood kids were. Megan wasn't a rule-breaker, though, and since she was very young, she'd suffered from depression. When she was in third grade, Megan told her mom she wanted to kill herself. The Myers immediately sprung into action and took Megan to a psychiatrist, whom Megan was still seeing in 2006. She was diagnosed with ADHD and depression and was prescribed Celexa, Ritalin, and the atypical antipsychotic Geodon, which is often used to treat bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. Once medicated, Megan still had the odd depressive episode, but never again expressed that she wanted to die. In fact, Megan's parents described her as funny, bubbly, and goofy. She was also very kind. When a blind boy joined her middle school, Megan assigned herself to guide him to class every day. But the people at her public middle school were not so kind to her. Boys especially picked on her, and in seventh grade, Megan befriended the popular girls in her grade to keep the boys from making fun of her. This worked for a time, but eventually the girls turned on her and the bullying got worse. Megan stopped eating lunch at school because when she did, boys would stand behind her and tell her how fat she was. Her only solace was at home, where she could play with her chihuahua Barry, watch horror movies, and hang out with her friends from the neighborhood. One of her best friends was Sarah Drew. Megan and Sarah had become friends in fourth grade, and in 2004, when the girls were in sixth grade, Megan's mom sold the Drews a house just four doors down from the Myers. Megan and Sarah were so close that Megan accompanied the Drews on three family vacations. Like most friends, Megan and Sarah would have arguments, but never anything serious. As they got older, the girls grew apart, and by 2006, only hung out occasionally. In 2005, Megan self-harmed for the first time by scratching her wrists, and the Myers decided that for 8th grade, Megan was going to switch schools. She went from her local public school to a private Catholic school, after which Tina Meyer noticed a change for the better. Because students wore uniforms at the Catholic school, Megan no longer obsessed over what fellow students would think of what she was wearing, and didn't feel the need to carefully apply makeup every morning. Her grades went up, she was making friends, and overall, Megan was happier. Despite all the bullying that happened to her at public school, Megan had had a few friends there and missed them now that she had transferred out. This included Sarah Drew, who was miffed that Megan had abandoned her at public school. Because the rest of her old school friends didn't live just a few doors down, Megan asked her parents for permission to make a MySpace. The Myers said she could, but there were strict rules that had to be followed. The account had to be private, and all friend requests had to be approved by Megan's parents. Only Tina and Ron had the password, so Megan could only log in when they were home, and they had to be in the room when she was using the MySpace. 
In addition, software was installed to track the Meyer daughter's internet use and instant messaging conversations. Megan's MySpace account was created on September 13, 2006. Her username was Megan Baby, and her profile read, Female, 14, Ghetto St. Louis, Missouri. I love to hip-hop dance, and I love to shop. She added at the end, Yeah, there's really hot guys at my school. They are fine. Whatever roadblocks the Meyer parents put up to try and keep their daughters safe online, like most teenagers, Megan found a way around them. She created a second MySpace where she added people her parents hadn't pre-approved and flirted with boys, sometimes being sexually suggestive. Her profile said she was 18. Megan was also feeling more depressed than she had in years. In an email to Sarah in December 2005, Megan told her that her parents were fighting a lot and it was getting to her. I think I'm going to do suicide tonight, Megan wrote. I can't take it anymore. Megan did not suicide that night. Life went on. Not long after creating her second MySpace, Megan was caught on it by a cousin of her mom's and was made to promise to delete the account in exchange for the cousin not informing Tina. Megan and Sarah also got in trouble when Sarah's mother Lori discovered that the girls had been making long-distance calls to a boy. Speaking of boys, around September 16th, soon after Megan had set up her parent-approved MySpace account, she got a friend request from a boy named Josh Evans. When Megan asked her parents if she could accept the request, she explained that while she didn't know him, he might be a friend of a friend. After all, she'd only just started at her new school. She was given permission to accept him, with the caveat that if Josh started getting flirty, Megan had to delete him. Tina said later, Josh was adorable. He had big blue eyes, very cut features, brown wavy hair. Megan was immediately smitten with her new online friend, especially because not only was he older, 16, tall, 6'3", and cute, but he thought Megan was cute too. He told her so often, saying that she was exactly his type. He loved girls with long brown hair like Megan's, and, he added, didn't care about weight. This was the boy of Megan's dreams. His profile listed that he preferred Coke over Pepsi, owned a trillion CDs, and under his goal for the year, he wrote, meet a great girl. Josh told Megan he'd recently moved to nearby O'Fallon and was homeschooled. Megan asked for his phone number, but he said the family didn't have a landline yet and he didn't have his own cell phone. This made Tina suspicious, especially as the weeks went by with Megan and Josh instant messaging constantly, but never speaking on the phone or meeting in person. She'd also seen that Josh had once made a suggestive comment to Megan, which was a violation of the rules she'd set down for her daughter. But Tina wasn't really worried that Josh was a 16-year-old trying to romance her 14-year-old. She was concerned that Josh might actually be a pedophile. She went to the St. Charles County Sheriff's Office Cyber Division with her concerns, but they refused to investigate due to lack of evidence on Tina's part. Megan found out that Tina had gone to the police and was furious. She told Josh on IM that night that her mom had gone to the popo about him, and Josh wrote back, She's probably just trying to protect you. Far from reassuring Tina, Josh's mature comment made her even more suspicious. A normal 16-year-old would just say, what a bitch. By now, I'm sure you figured out that Josh isn't real. The person behind the Josh Evans account, the one flirting with Megan and commenting things on her pictures like, you are my beautiful princess, was 47-year-old Lori Drew, mother of Megan's friend, Sarah. And why was Lori pretending to be a teenage boy flirting daily with an 8th grader? She believed that Megan had called Sarah a lesbian, and she wanted to see if Megan would badmouth Sarah more while I am in with Josh. From what I found in my research, Megan never did. 
That's not to say Megan never said anything mean about anyone during these conversations, but as far as I can tell, she never badmouthed Sarah in particular. But it wasn't just Lori pretending to be Josh. She roped someone else into it, too. Lori and her husband ran a direct mail service, and one of their employees, 18-year-old Ashley Grills, joined Lori in chatting with Megan as Josh. Ashley had graduated from high school earlier in the year and saw Lori as a mother figure. So when Lori asked her to join in on the plot, Ashley said yes. Somehow, a neighborhood teen, Michelle Mulford, got wind of the MySpace hoax too, and perhaps to keep her from spreading the news further, she was invited to join Lori and Ashley in their quest to gather personal information about Megan and then spread it around, hopefully humiliating her. While it's certainly mean, I can kind of understand why Ashley and Michelle took part in this plan. They were teenagers and not fully mature, but it just boggles my mind that a grown adult was spearheading this hoax and saw nothing wrong with planning to humiliate a child. At one point, it was Lori's aim to lure Megan to the local mall and embarrass her there, but that never happened. And why was Lori, a middle-aged adult, doing this? Well, probably because she herself wasn't very popular and wanted to feel better about it. In the neighborhood, Lori was regarded as a nuisance, and several neighborhood women had signals for each other that was meant to save them from conversations with Lori. And so Lori decided to target a 14-year-old. The cruelest part of this is that Lori was well aware of Megan's depression. While Megan was on family vacations with the Drews, it was Lori that was responsible for making sure that Megan took her medication. Lori knew the dangers of her stunt. On October 16th, Megan handed out invitations to her birthday party. I've been calling her 14 in this episode, but her birthday was actually November 6th. While Megan was at school, Ashley was at work with Lori and told Lori that she thought it was time to shut down the Josh profile. Megan was getting more and more insistent about meeting up, which Josh obviously couldn't do. Lori agreed. Megan wasn't giving them what they needed anyway. And so Ashley sent a private MySpace message to Megan and hoped that that would be that. When Megan got home that afternoon, Tina was rushing around getting ready to take Megan's sister Allison to the orthodontist. When Megan asked her mom to log into MySpace, Tina did it quickly as she was getting ready to leave. Upon checking her MySpace messages, Megan saw a note from Josh saying, I don't know if I want to be friends with you anymore because I've heard you're not very nice to your friends. Ashley later said that the idea of this message, rather than the old, it's not me, it's you, breakup line, was to make Megan mad so she'd block Josh from her profile and hopefully forget all about him. Instead, Megan got upset. What? She wrote back. Three exclamation points. Tina noticed that Megan was upset and told her as she walked out the door with her younger daughter to log off MySpace if it was making her that upset. But Megan didn't log off. She wanted to know where Josh had heard that she was mean to her friends. Who was talking about her behind her back? The conversation quickly got out of control because in the chat, Josh was being played by two people. Both Ashley and Michelle were online as him at various times, on separate computers with no barometer of how cruel the other girl had been while they were IMing with Megan. The conversation escalated quickly and grew to include other local teens. Someone in the chat called Megan fat, Megan called another girl a slut. At one point, Megan wrote desperately to Josh, you're the kind of boy a girl would kill herself over. When Tina and Allison arrived home from the orthodontist, Tina was enraged to see that not only was Megan still on MySpace, but now she was crying. Megan had just gotten the worst message yet, written by Ashley as Josh. 
Everybody in O'Fallon knows who you are. You are a bad person and everybody hates you. Have a shitty rest of your life. The world would be a better place without you. Just sign off, Tina told Megan. Megan swore at her, something Megan had never done before, and told Tina what was being said about her online. Tina told her that if Megan had just signed off when Tina had told her to, she wouldn't have gotten any of the later messages. Megan yelled at Tina, You're supposed to be my mom. You're supposed to be on my side. As she ran up to her room, Megan ran into her dad, Ron, who she told about the mean things that had been said to her. Ron comforted her, then went downstairs where he and Tina discussed cyberbullying while Tina made dinner. Twenty minutes into the conversation, Tina froze mid-sentence and ran up to Megan's room. But she was too late. Megan had hung herself with a belt in her closet. When Lori heard the siren of an ambulance outside the Myers' house, she called Michelle, the younger teen who had been part of the hoax, and told her to keep her mouth shut. Megan was rushed to the hospital, but died the next day. It wasn't until a few weeks later that the Myers found out about the hoax, which means that when Lori showed up at Megan's wake and funeral, they didn't know what an obscene act that was. When Lori's hairdresser found out that Lori would be attending the funeral, she asked why, and Lori said casually, It's not like I pulled the trigger. Eventually, Michelle told Tina and Ron about who Josh had really been. The Myers were, of course, disgusted. Tina told a reporter later, I know they did not physically tie a belt around her neck, but when adults are involved and continue to screw with a 13-year-old, it is absolutely vile. Megan's suicide as a result of a catfish is well known now, but aside from locals, no one knew Megan's story until a year and a half later. Right after it happened, local newspapers wrote about the incident, but decided not to reveal Lori and Ashley's names. However, after seeing journalist Steve Pokin's coverage of cyberbullying, Megan's aunt asked him to write a piece on Megan's death. Pokin's story was picked up by the AP, and while Pokin also didn't include Lori and Ashley's names, it didn't take long for internet sleuths to do it, doxing both women, and the internet got to work punishing them for their crimes. People made YouTube videos that put a collection of pictures of Lori to creepy, ominous music. Both women received incredible amounts of hate messages. The Drews got a brick thrown through their window. Megan's online inbox, on the other hand, was filled with love. Several of her past bullies apologized to her for their behavior. One of the many random girls who was involved in the final exchanges said that she was now in counseling and was starting a movement to stop bullying at her school. Tina would tell the press that she doesn't blame Ashley or Michelle or any of the other teens involved for Megan's death, conceding that Megan could say mean things to her peers at times too. Tina placed the blame squarely on the shoulders of the middle-aged woman who targeted a 13-year-old. After the story was picked up and appeared in newspapers internationally, a press conference was held on December 8, 2007. The Myers had kept quiet until then, so the FBI could finish an investigation. The FBI had determined both Lori and Ashley were at least partly to blame for Megan's death, and it was at the press conference that Lori, through her lawyer, threw Ashley, who had seen Lori as a mother figure, under the bus. Lori also put some of the blame on her own then 13-year-old daughter. According to Lori's lawyer, Lori had set up the account with Sarah, but then had nothing more to do with it. The only person who had sent mean messages to Megan was Ashley. The lawyer also informed the reporters gathered there that due to all the hate she had received online following Megan's death, Ashley herself was now hospitalized after a suicide attempt. Pro tip, if you're mad at someone for causing another person's suicide, you should not then tell the perpetrator to kill themselves. That makes you the bad guy. In November of 2008, Lori's trial was held. 
This was a landmark case, as no one in America had yet been tried in court for cyberbullying. Lori was charged with four potential felony counts of unauthorized computer access under the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. The six-man, six-woman jury found Lori guilty of three counts of using a website to unlawfully gain information about Megan. Lori technically faced up to a year in prison, but ended up not serving any time. Even if she had, news sources labeled Lori's conviction as a mere slap on the wrist, especially since the fourth charge of conspiracy was dismissed because the jury was deadlocked. A few months later, Judge George Wu overturned Lori's convictions, saying that convicting her would be a slippery slope for anyone in the future who violated the rules of a website. Despite Judge Wu's ruling, Megan's case inspired several jurisdictions in Missouri to pass legislation against cyberbullying and harassment, and the state updated their laws to cover harassment over computer and text messages, specifically geared toward the targeting of minors. Megan's law, which was enacted on May 15, 2008, criminalizes the use of the internet to abuse someone in any way. A week later, Congresswoman Linda Sanchez introduced the Megan Meyer Cyberbullying Prevention Act. Megan's parents also started the Megan Meyer Foundation, which focuses on educating about and eliminating cyberbullying. Thanks for checking out Hooked this week. We'll be back next week with a new story. But for right now, you can find me on social media on Twitter at HookedPodcast1, that's the number one at the end, on Instagram at HookedPodcast, and on Facebook at HookedThePodcast. Also, I'd love it if you left me a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you really like what I'm doing, head on over to Patreon.com slash HookedThePod, where you can get access to early episodes and regularly released bonus episodes. Again, thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.